Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. It's a big responsibility being a parent. While our children are young, we provide for their every need. We guard them, we protect them, and we raise them. And, and we raise them, we, we, we train them to be good and righteous. We teach them in the ways of the Lord, and we instill into them morals and boundaries and values and borders. Uh, back in my day, uh, we taught them to love Holdens and, and hate Fords. I think that's something which is sadly missing in the Dries household. Is that right, Driesing? Our oh, sanity in your situation. <laughs> and we discipline them. Uh, hopefully we don't have to discipline our children too often, but raising a child well requires very clear boundaries uh, with very clear consequences. It is a big responsibility raising a child. Now, at the moment, right across Australia, um, and significantly in Queensland, youth crime is just way out of control. Why? It's because parents haven't been doing their job of raising, loving and disciplining their children and nor do the authorities do their job of punishing the wrongdoer. Um, we've sort of drummed it into, we live in, a, in an era where we think, oh, it's not about punishing the wrongdoer, it's about correcting. Well, no, justice requires punishment of the wrongdoer. And so the responsibility that we have to, to raise our children that's a really big responsibility. Um, it, it's to raise them in the ways of the Lord. As Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. So that's a big responsibility. But imagine the responsibility that had been given to Joseph and Mary to raise the Son of God. Now, I'm certainly glad that that job wasn't entrusted to me. Anyway, there does come a time when a parent's responsibility for raising a child comes to an end. And we take our hands off of the controls and we step back. 
Um, we, we will still be available for them, for our grown children, when they ask us for advice so that we can, yep, still give them advice. But it is no longer our place as their parents to control our grown children or even to try and redirect them to what we think that they should be doing. And that, I know from experience, is one of the hardest things for a parent to do, to step back from the role that they once had of, of training and protecting and directing their children and to begin to allow our kids to, to be the young men and the young women that we've spent all these years raising them to be. Because there comes a time when our kids grow up, they leave home, they choose their own career, uh, they might decide they decide where they want to live. They might decide to live a long way from where they currently are. They may even decide to live in another country. And as parents, it's pretty much our place as good parents is at that point to be hands off. Um, and it's a sad state of affairs when a parent continues to hold on for too long and, and coerce or manipulate a grown child. And of course, when a child gets... when a child. When someone that once was our child, or still is our child, uh, gets married, the scriptures tell us that we leave our parents to cleave to one another and we form a new family. Now, for most of us, the leaving our family part happens well before cleaving to the husband or the wife. And that's pretty important. Now, the question comes... When does a child's, a parent's responsibility for raising their children come to an end? Now, I've, I've been hearing, you know, a lot of people, it, it's sort of pop psychology to say, oh, our responsibility for our ch children never ends. It just goes on and on and on. No, it doesn't. Our responsibility for our children does end. Um, we will still love them and support them and care for them and help them at times, but our responsibility for them comes to an end. When is that? Well, we probably used to think it was the 21st birthday. That was a big one, wasn't it? And they'd get presented with a key, right? Uh, I've, I've actually got a, a, a timber key. I should have brought it in. Um, Dad actually made it out of a piece of Brigolo, an old Brigolo rail he cut and polished, and it actually came up looking really nice off of our farm. And that's the key that was given to me on my 21st birthday. It was sort of like a thing, oh, okay, now you're free to come and go from your house. That's when it used to be. Or is it the 18th birthday? I mean, that's when you're old enough to go to the pub and, and legally drink and, and go to war and all those sorts of things. And for most legal matters at 18, one is considered an adult. Or is it their 16th birthday? And I can just think of a lot of parents going, oh, no. Not when they're 16, they're still at school. They can't be responsible for themselves then. Now, in biblical times, it was quite normal for women to be married by the time they were 15 or 16 years old. And it was quite normal for, for young men to be married by the time they were 18. Now, in, in the Bible reading today, Jesus is 12 years old. Now, by Jewish customs, it was when a boy turned 13, um, that is when his responsibilities as a man by the law kicked in. Right? That, that is when he would re be responsible himself 
for adhering to everything that was required by the law. Up until then, he was after the parents, under the parents' control, and the parents would, would instill into him the ways of the law. But from the time he was 13, that's when he would be responsible himself to make sure that he was doing, doing that. And so when Jesus was 12 years old, he was right on the cusp, right? He was right on the border of crossing over into that period where he would be responsible to God and responsible to, to the law on his own and have that expectation that is expected of a man. Makes us think, doesn't it? That maybe sometimes we, we hold on to our kids for a bit too long. And it should help us to realise this, and this is an important thing, just how important the early years are when it comes to raising our children. This is, this is critical. Because you know as well as I do that if your child isn't doing the right thing by the time they're 13, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of hope of reining them in at that point. Right? Most, of the, most of the learning and development in, into the ways that they're going to go happens when they're young. Right, so let's come back to the Bible reading. Jesus' parents have taken him to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Now, that was a pretty big event. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they went to the Passover every year, and for them, that was an enormous commitment. They lived 128 kilometres away, and their method of transport was by foot. And so for them, it was four days' journey walking to get to Jerusalem, and then they'd have the Passover celebrations, and then they'd have four days walking back again. And the journey part was quite an event in itself because a whole community, a whole group of people from their town would all travel together, right? They're all going to the thing. You can, you can imagine what it's like. You know, you, you, we see the grey nomads travelling today and they, they all travel together and they all park up at a caravan park and they sit around the campfire and have a wonderful old time of socialising. And it's pretty similar then. that They travelled together because it would be a whole lot safer for them to be in a big group. The bandits aren't going to attack them and whatnot. And so for them, it was a chance to walk. It was a chance to talk, a chance to pray together because remember, they're on this, this spiritual pilgrimage and a chance to play and so when Mary and Joseph went to the Passover, everything was good. But then on their way home, we don't really know how it happened. Maybe Joseph thought Mary, sorry, maybe Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary. Maybe Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph. Or maybe they both thought that he was off with, with his group of friends or whatever. But I mean, he's 12 years old. You, you don't expect that he's... He's on the cusp of becoming a man. You don't think that you're going to lose him. Anyway, at the end of the day's journey, they sort of looked around. Where is Jesus? I don't know. And you just imagine the panic that starts to set in. Where is he? Where is he? Oh, no. We've lost the Son of God. I mean, that would be a bit of a oops moment, wouldn't it? By the way, do you hear about little Johnny and Freddie? Uh, they'd been naughty and they'd stolen some lollies from the local lolly shop and, and their mother, she thought about, she said, I oh, know, I'll get the minister to put the fear of God into them and teach them not to steal. And so made an appointment with the minister and told him, told him what she wanted him to do and thought, okay, I'll try and get them to understand that God is everywhere and therefore 
God sees what they're doing. That should put the fear of God into them. So he called them into his office one at a time and he said to Johnny, Johnny, where's God? And Johnny sort of looked a bit confused. He said, where's God? And Johnny goes, huh? And the minister getting frustrated because Johnny's not answering his question. He says, where's God? And Johnny jumps up, runs out of the room and finds Freddie and says, quick, hide, they've lost God and they think we took him. That, that was a, a good, somebody's laughing. Phew, I thought it had fallen flat there for a bit. But forget about that. A parent losing a child is panic enough. As we saw in the kid's story, Robin asked that question, have you ever lost a child? I've done it a few times, but we've still got most of our four children. Um, all right, we've got two. <laughs> Once again, Scott's the only one who got it, or the only one who's responding. Um, so that I can remember the time that we lost our eldest child, who shall remain nameless. Um, he was only a little fellow, and I'm pretty sure it was Kmart that was it Kmart that we're in. It was a shop like Kmart, one of those big sorts of shops, and. And all, we, we, he was with us, and then we looked around, and he was just gone. He's just gone, just like that. It was like, he was just here. So we sort of just start looking around. And, and you know how those department stores, they're, they're designed so that you can't just look straight down an aisle anymore? Like, you've, you've sort of actually got to go through everywhere to be able to see things. And we just went wider and wider and wider, and we could not find him. And we're starting to, we seriously were getting frantic. Did we actually get the shop people in on it? or not, can't remember. And, and finally, we, we met back at the point that, that we'd last seen him. Where could he be? Well, I don't know, and I don't know what led to it, but I think it was Robin just went and parted the clothes in the clothes rack, and there he was. He just hidden himself in that clothes rack, and he'd been there the whole time having a bit of a giggle. Uh, he didn't keep giggling, because um, pretty much what played out there was pretty much the same as what happened with, with when Mary said to Jesus, yeah, what have you done? So like we said, why, why did you hide yourself from us? We were frantic. But our nameless eldest Jake, um, he wasn't much more than a toddler at the time. Uh, he doesn't usually try to hide from us anymore. Jesus, he was 12 years old. It took Mary and Joseph three days to find him. So it was one day walk away from Jerusalem, one day walk back to Jerusalem, and one day looking for him in Jerusalem. And when they found him, it wasn't at the spot that you would expect to find a young lad. He wasn't at the local swimming hole. He hadn't gone fishing in the river. He wasn't at the lolly shop or at the camel skate park. He's in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now, when he's doing that, it's not like the pictures that we see of this precocious little 12-year-old instructing the great minds of his day. I want you to get that image out of your mind. Jesus would ask them quite astute questions, and they would answer Jesus, and sometimes they would answer by asking him questions. That's the way that we learn and the way that we teach. And they were amazed at his understanding. You see, what Jesus could do is he could cut straight to the heart of the issue and he had some truly amazing insight. At this point, 
Jesus was learning. He was learning about the things of God. He was learning about the Jewish law and about the customs. Now, there would come a time when, when Jesus would argue with the teachers of the law, because at, at sometimes they had it quite wrong. But at this point, at 12 years of age, Jesus is studying and he's learning. But there is something that Jesus did know about God that the religious leaders didn't know. Jesus knew that Joseph was his father by name and that Joseph was a father in every earthly way to him, but that his real father was his father in heaven, God. And so when Mary says, son, you, you, you why have you treated us so? Look, you, you, dad and I, we've been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know? Now, at this point, our Bible translations vary. The, the version that we had today is said, I think it said, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Some translations say, did you not know that I would be going about my father's business? Now, why do they vary? It's because in the Greek, the sentence appears unfinished. In the Greek, it pretty much says, did you not know that I must be in the of my father? In the what? In the house of my father? In the business of my father? It's left open. And so we usually try to fill the gaps. Now, usually when something's left open, it's probably open for a reason. And we're supposed to think of it as things. Did you not know that I must be in the things of my father? I must be in my father's house. I must be going about his business. I must be learning about the things of my father. And, of course, his parents didn't get it. But we're told here that Mary treasured it up in her heart. Um, now, Luke told us right at the beginning of his gospel that he had researched everything, um, all of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And as I read this, I, I, I was, became pretty sure, you know, what? I reckon Luke must have had a chat with Mary. Right, this is just the sort of thing that a mother would, would remember when Luke's saying, tell me what you remember about Jesus. You can just imagine Mary saying, I remember when he was a little boy, that time we went to Jerusalem. We didn't get it at the time, but this is what happened. And she'd tell about that, that terrible time for them when they thought they'd lost their son. And it's the sort of stories that we parents tell at times, isn't it? I know we do. We don't care if you think that we're not the perfect parents. We lost children. <laughs> but we eventually found most of them. And it just gives it that real personal touch. But I find verse 51 here to be astounding. Jesus knew that he is the Son of God. But we're told here that he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. The ruler of the universe submitted to his earthly parents. Now, it makes you think of when you get to about 12 or 13 or 14 and, and you're sort of thinking, I know more than my mum and dad and I'm not going to submit to my mum and dad. And The ruler of the 
of the universe submitted to his parents. And verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. What he's talking about here is a balanced growth. A balanced growth into adulthood requires these four types of growth. A growth in wisdom, physical growth, social growth, and spiritual growth. Firstly, Jesus increased in wisdom. Now, I want to tell you, cleverness is not wisdom. There are some very clever people in the world and some very highly educated people in the world who do not have a scrap of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to be able to use knowledge and reason with the help of the Spirit of God to know the right and godly thing to do in every situation. That's what wisdom is. And I reckon the way that we can best teach our children wisdom is by demonstrating it ourselves. We, we look to God's word to help us to make decisions uh, and, and to do the right thing. Second area of development is physical growth. Jesus grew in stature. Once again, some grow in stature in more ways than others. Some grow up, some grow out. Um, now, but to an extent, kids do this themselves, don't they? All we have to do is add the food and they seem to do the growing themselves. And then we bemoan the fact that, well, we bought them a new pair of sand shoes only eight months ago and they don't fit anymore. And can't you, can't you have a pair of sand shoes that wears out before I need to buy you a new set? It does eventually happen. It does eventually happen. But of course, a parent's job, you know, to help them with growing physically, with their physical development, is we have to encourage them to eat right and encourage them to exercise and whatnot. But having said that, a, a very big trap for parents in, in our land um, is we live in a nation that worships sporting stars. And some parents are so driven because my little Johnny or my little Mary, they have the talent to represent Australia. And, and rather than, than encouraging a balanced growth, physical growth becomes their precedent. And physical training consumes the parent. It consumes the child and it consumes the whole family. And, and the whole time they're telling themselves, I'm just doing it for my kids. I'm, I'm giving them all of the opportunities that I possibly can. It's, it's for their best. But is it? Because too often, as they do this, what's it teaching the child? It's teaching them that this is the most important thing in the world. I'm driving you to this. This is what's most important. And do you know what suffers? Wisdom might suffer. Their social development might suffer. And their spiritual development might suffer. A third area of development is to know how to get on socially. Oh, we're told here that Jesus didn't only get on, grow in favour with God, he also grew in favour with man. What's that talking about? It means that, that he knew how to interact with people. Yeah, we tend to think of, okay, Jesus, he's hanging on the cross. Yep, men hated Jesus. No, we're told right at the start that 
in the early stage. He, he grew in favor with man. Now, some Christians make it, they take it as a badge of honor that, you know, if I'm a stench in the nostrils of my ungodly neighbor, then that's just a badge of honor for me. That's, that's great. Um, but let me tell you, us being unnecessarily offensive or condescending never helps bring people to Jesus. It doesn't. As parents, we need to teach our kids how to socialise, even with the ungodly. But we teach them how to do it in a godly way. How do we do that? We model it. We talk to our children about their interactions with other kids and their interactions with adults. And basically, we teach them how to be good friends. We teach them how to be kind. We teach them how to be caring. We teach them how to be selfless. We teach them how to put others first and be concerned for others. But we also have to teach them how, as they socialise with, with other people, that they do not take on the ways of the world. And fourthly, as you know, I always leave the most important point until last, spiritual growth. Jesus grew in favour with God. It's talking about spiritual growth. Unsurprisingly, unsurprisingly, within the world, spiritual growth, growing in godliness, that's not very high on most people's lists of priorities. But development that does not include spiritual growth is unbalanced. And when our growth is unbalanced, things aren't good. And I want you to know, this isn't only about our kids. This goes for us too. Sometimes, even as adults, our spiritual development becomes stunted. Physically and socially, we, we might have everything together. Our career might be pumping. The, the business might be rocking on nicely. But how's my prayer life? Is it as good as what it once was? How's my relationship with God? Is my relationship with God the same as what it was five years ago? Or is it growing? Or is it decreased? Our spiritual development is something that should just go on and on and on. And I reckon the best way that we can encourage our children to grow spiritually is for them to see that that is the most important thing for mum and dad. When mum and dad pray, when mum and dad read the word, when mum and dad make worship and fellowship together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the most important part of their week, what are our kids learning? Our kids are learning just how important spiritual development is. Spiritual development, growing in favour with God. It's not just about learning stuff either. Spiritual development is about growing spiritual fruit. It's about becoming more and more like our Heavenly Father. As we grow in God, the fruit grows in us. Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Let's finish up. The point of this passage is Jesus has this unique attachment to the Father. It was a little painful for his earthly parents because Jesus, as the Son of God, it meant that his relationship with the Father must take priority over every other commitment and every other relationship. But do you know what else Jesus taught us? His Father in heaven is our Father in heaven. As God's children, as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, our relationship with our Heavenly Father is unique. Our relationship with God, it takes priority over every other opportunity, over every other commitment, over every other relationship because He is our Father and He is our Lord. Do you know what that looks like? Why wouldn't you expect me to be here? Worshipping with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you not know that I would, must be about the things of my Father? Why wouldn't you expect me here? Studying God's word. Did you not know that I must be in the things of my Father? Why wouldn't I be here? Serving in the name of Jesus. Did you not know that I must be in the things of my Father? Why wouldn't you expect me to be here visiting the lonely, caring for the poor and the broken? Did you not know that I must be in the things of my Father? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, let us, like you, be in the things of our Father. May it be totally normal for us to be found in the house of God. May it be totally normal for us to be active in the business of God, to be serving you with our whole hearts. Lord, today, we want to pray for the parents in this church. Lord, Give us wisdom as we raise the children that you have entrusted to us. And help us to propagate in our children a balanced growth, a growth in wisdom, physical growth, social growth, and most importantly, spiritual growth. Lord, as adults, help us to model this ourselves and, and may it be obvious, not, not obvious for show, but obvious because that's just the way it is. May it be obvious that we must be in the things of the Father. Lord, help us to grow deeper and deeper in you and that the fruit of your Spirit would develop in our lives. And we pray for our children that as they grow, that they would mature into young men and young women of God and help us when our job is finished to be able to take our hands off and step back and entrust them to you.
letting them be the young men and women that, that they have grown to become. And Lord, we also pray for what we call the prodigals. We pray for the children who have wandered from you. In your mercy and by your spirit, we pray that you would touch them and bring them back to be your children. In Jesus' name.